Driving the Narrative, Women in Architecture, a podcast by SB Architects. I'm your host, Jeanette Hoffman. Throughout this series, I'll be delving deeper into what it means to be a woman in architecture. Today's guest is Jen Collins, president at Procure Impact. Jen is a purpose-driven leader who's created a platform for success across a wide range of focus areas, including real estate, hospitality, social impact, education, humanitarian, and wellness. She's a seasoned executive with experience in both for-profit and nonprofit organizations. A former Division I athlete, she is an entrepreneurial spirit with a bias towards action and has leadership expertise in strategy, operations, culture, communications, change management, and strategic alliances and partnerships. Morning, Jen. Good morning, morning. Jeanette. How are you doing? Doing well, doing great. And for everyone listening on the podcast, where are you? I am in the DC area. I met you, well, met you. I saw you (laughs) speak at the Indie Confab in Austin, uh, along with some of my colleagues, Regan and David Richlowski. We went up uh, to see the conference. It was a great conference and you were sort of, I'll call it the finale, the big, big oh, show. Gosh. Oh no, I'm <laughs> glad you didn't say that before that speech. <laughs> but um, all the other little speeches were wonderful and it was a very informative conference. It was great for the whole indie um, environment and getting getting to know a little bit about how people are sort of addressing the indie world uh, when it comes to hospitality. Mm-hmm. But you got up there and uh, just told a, a really beautiful personal story that I thought was so inspiring. Mm-hmm. So that's how, that's why we we got in touch because um, I just thought you were so special and I thought your message was so special. But I wanted to kind of start with sort of your beginning steps. You were in architecture fully at one point and you sort of switched over a little bit to something else, which we'll talk about. Just tell me a little bit about you. A little sure. bit about Jen. Yeah, uh, so born and raised in Baltimore, and I uh, was raised with my dad, actually, as the primary parent. My parents got divorced when I was 14, but my dad was kind of the the primary parent through and through. Uh, my dad was a teacher and a coach in the inner, he still is coaching, actually. He just had a golf championship this past weekend, uh, so he's still, he's still at it. He's uh, kind of known to be one of the more infamous basketball coaches in the in the city of Baltimore. And so uh, I grew up spending a lot of time. I also, you can't see it on Zoom, but you you saw it in person. Like I, I'm pretty tall. So I'm a, I'm a big girl uh, and use my height to, to, uh, to my advantage and in, in playing basketball uh, in college. But so I, I grew up as like kind of a little white girl in a bunch of black gyms in Baltimore. And uh, mostly because I was tagging along with my dad and he was coaching in the inner city and um, then I was playing in the inner city uh, when I was in high school. And my dad had a player who played, uh, went to Cornell and played at Cornell and went to the hotel school at Cornell. And I had never heard of the hotel school at Cornell. I had never, never in a million years thought uh, about hospitality as a career option. I had a lot of uh, classmates now, you know, classmates that were that I met at Cornell who, had had the hotel school at Cornell on their radar screens for like their whole lives, or they came from restaurant owning oh, yeah. families or something. I, I'd There's never a heard big of following, it. big following, huge right. following, like 
world renowned and I got there by happy accident. I was <laughs> like, okay, you know, dad, Zeke plays there and uh, plays at Cornell and and went to the hotel school. And so he put us in touch with the coaches and the coaches came down and watched one practice. This was before, this was before I'm old. So this was before all the like crazy recruiting that happened and, and yeah. all that stuff. I mean, scouting happened, but we just didn't have the internet. Uh, and so yeah. you didn't have different. a full YouTube channel before. No, you <laughs> no, no. Thank goodness. Because it played to my, they watched one practice. I played lights out the best basketball I have <laughs> ever played in my life. And I applied early and got in. And so amazing. I went to the hotel school and uh, for me, I've always been kind of a real estate finance person. So I've worked a lot with architects because I worked primarily for large hotel owners. My, uh, the first 20 years of my career, I, uh, went to work for a company called Tishman Realty and Construction, uh, the first seven years out of school. Then I worked in private equity for a, a few years, moved down to DC in 2010 from New York City. I moved to New York City after college and moved to DC in 2010 to lead the asset management team at a publicly traded REIT, which stands for Real Estate Investment Trust. So I'd always worked for principal owners of hotels in a kind of a financial capacity. And I was really driven uh, by the quest for financial security, especially early on in my career. I loved the hotel industry. It was a very happy accident that I ended up there, but I really took to it. I loved, um, I just love everything it's about. I love that the American dream still lives in the hotel industry. I love that that servant leadership is a is a valued thing in the in the hospitality industry. I loved this hosting people and the whole ethos of hosting people. And I loved building things. And so I worked, you know, Tishman's a big builder and we worked on a lot of large scale renovation projects. So it was just a really good fit for me uh, and my strengths, uh, but I was driven out of school uh, really with a quest for financial security in large part due to my upbringing. We didn't have a lot of money growing up and I saw my mom go through some seasons of financial insecurity herself. Yeah. And that I don't think she was really able to like live out a lot of her hopes, dreams and aspirations because of of some of the the lack of financial security. And so witnessing that uh, had a really big impact and, and still kind of does on my life. Yeah. Um, and so I, uh, I probably left my own devices without that lived experience, like would have gone into the Peace Corps right out of college. I mean, I've always been really humanitarianly hearted and and anyway, so yeah, so I, I started my career and loved it, it in the hotel industry. Uh, for about 20 years. And then I, I pivoted, uh, which I think you might want to talk about later, but. Yeah. Thank you for sharing something so personal with us. What was so inspiring is that you were, you got up there on that stage and you were just like you are now telling the story about your life that I had never heard in front of me. Right. We always talk about how um, representation is so important. Seeing yourself in someone is so important mm -hmm. and not to say I haven't seen myself in people in our industry or just in any sort of um, way in the hospitality world, I have, but yours touched on a different level because in many ways I was, I think probably until that day, I, would, I didn't realize I was inspired to do what I do um, because of my upbringing in the same way that you had done. And so 
for me, I'm driven by financial security, but I think not in the same way like you are, I mean, in the same way you are, but not in the same way that a lot of people are. I'm not looking for financial for financial security because I want to be wealthy. I'm looking oh, for, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right? Like that's not what we're talking about here. Mm-mm. We're talking about is I'm looking for financial security because in my upbringing, when there wasn't financial security, there was chaos. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. was really scary to me. Mm-hmm. So I didn't realize until probably my you know, mid twenties or early thirties now that I have really bad days. If I start to feel like that foundation is starting to be rocked in any sort of way. Mm -hmm. So I always put myself in these positions where I can really support myself and feel like no matter what, the end of the day, I know I can pay people. I don't owe anybody money. Mm -hmm. Owing people money is like my biggest fear in the world, Mm -hmm. right? Like I can't stand that or not being able to pay for something, not being able to pay your bills. But I think what's so beautiful about your story is that not only did it lead you to search for this financial security, it led you to help other people find that financial security, which was so beautiful to me. And I told you in my email, when I first reached out, it will forever impact me because you can talk. I mean, I think that's a perfect segue into sort of talking about how do we find dignity in our work? What do we, Mm -hmm. why do we, why do we need that? And then what led you to procure impact? And how, because of, because of all this that we're talking about, it really sort of folded into you wanting to help other people find that same security. And I know that was a very long way of asking and sort of segueing into that, but I think it's important. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for your kind words. First of all, I, I I told you that that speech where we met was a comedy of errors leading (laughs) up to it. So like, if it just got to, I would have never known. Y'all, yeah. she had a cast on. I would oh, have never known. it was a known. whole thing. It was just a whole thing. Yeah. You know, if it just, if it just landed with one person, then it was totally worth it. So you were so <laughs> kind and your words meant more than you know. And so, yeah, for me, uh, I actually can't really talk about my journey story without talking about God. And I, I always hesitate to do so because I actually came to identify as Christian. I I kind of came to my Christianity kind of late in life. I was uh, baptized at 39. And so I never want to be exclusionary. Sometimes when, you know, you get into a religious speaker or even mention the word God, it's like people kind of shut her down. And, uh, and I, I don't want that to happen, but in, in sharing my journey story, uh, it's spiritual healing. There's any version. Yeah, of spiritual it's healing. It, this is like this was my experience. It's so you're in a you're in a great forum. We're open to everybody. Like not everybody's experience, and I want to be really, I really want to be aware of that and mindful of that. Anyway, so for me, um, I pivoted out of the hospitality industry full time in 2017. It was definitely a, a leap of faith for me. Um, mm-hmm in, in a very literal sense. So I, uh, felt the call to take a year off, which was a couple years in the making. There was a book I read, there was a fellowship I was nominated for. There was a bunch of kind of inciting incidents, uh, that led to me taking that leap. But I, uh, I took a year off, which was, you know, for a lot of people, they're like, how did you do that? That's amazing. And, you know, I did all this traveling and stuff for me. I was like, I love work. I love work. I love being busy. I love, you know, it was like, you know, when I took my year off, I was like tapping on my cell phone. Like, are you still there? Like what's happening? I'm not used to not having, you know, hundreds of emails to respond to. And all of that. It's harder to step back than it is. Oh, it's so hard. I need to be busy all the time. So it would would drive me crazy. I can understand. 
all the time. And so I, uh, but I felt like it was a real leap of faith and I, I did a bunch of amazing things. I do some work in East Africa, uh, with the orphan and widow community, like kind of with youth in East Africa. And, uh, so I was able to spend some extended time there. I was able to, to travel, uh, um, to some certain parts of the world. I was able to spend some time in Japan on an arts pilgrimage, which was amazing. Uh, and then I was trying to figure out during that time, how my head and my heart could work together for the most explosive good. So I had this kind of, you know, big career, which I loved and, and crafted and dreamed about. And then nights and weekends for me, you could see I was, you know, when I lived in New York, I was teaching and coaching in Harlem. When I moved to DC, I became a yoga teacher along the way. I co-founded a yoga class in Anacostia, which is kind of an underserved part of, of DC. And I was trying to figure out how I could live a bit more holistically. And I think a lot of people feel this way. There's a personal life and professional life and COVID certainly blended that more than anybody probably wanted. But um, I was trying to figure out kind of what all of that meant and how to to parse that together. And so I took a a year off. It was, again, a big uh, leap of faith. And one year and 23 days after my first, after I, I left, I left LaSalle on May 1st, 2017. And I took my friend Sonal Shaw out to dinner on May 23rd, 2018. And those 23 days are important because when you feel like the call is to take a year off and you don't have everything like wrapped up with a bow in a year, in it's 300, kind of, you're like in 365 like a, days. Yeah, I'm counting that's the, the way I work. After, yes. I'm like, I that's a bathroom floor moment, right? It's like, yeah. what, what? <laughs> did I get this wrong? What is I happening? need another month? What's wrong? I know, like, I didn't, this wasn't in the plan. I thought this was all, you know, part of the plan, anyway. So, I ended up uh, going out to dinner with Sonal Shaw, who, who is the founder and executive director at the time of something called the Beck Center for Social Impact and Innovation, and she invited me to do some work at the Beck Center uh, on Opportunity Zones, which was a capital gains tax incentive to invest uh, private capital into low-income neighborhoods across the country. And uh, we don't need to get into Opportunity Zone legislation too much, but uh, the original intention of the legislation was to drive positive social outcomes in low-income neighborhoods. And it was also a capital gains tax incentive that was passed under the Trump administration. So there was all of the, you know, comms noise around that, that you can imagine. And so she wanted to really use the influence of the Beck Center to support the original intention of the legislation. She knew I'd spent time in low-income neighborhoods. She knew that I had a real estate background uh, and real estate for a whole host of reasons was first movers and opportunity zones. So she invited me to lead a body of work. I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't know what being a fellow at a university meant. I didn't know. I didn't know what it meant, but it was definitely an opportunity to use my head and my heart together. And so I jumped at it. I loved being on an academic campus. I was able to mentor some uh, some young women on the women's basketball team, which was fantastic at Georgetown. I'm actually talking to one of them later today. It was a really special time where... Uh, but I was really pivoted out of the hospitality industry. Yeah, I was yeah. in rooms that I never thought I'd be in. I was, you know, an advisor to the White House and I was sitting in the Federal Reserve building and partnered with the Fed and like influencing an industry from the outside. And I had 39 speaking engagements in 2019 and I wasn't comms trained. And so 
it was drinking from a fire hose, but it was work that was just so meaningful. And I loved the, the, the vantage point that we had in that conversation, because we were really able to pull together uh, a bunch of different constituents that were all interested in opportunity zones. It was private sector, public sector, it was government, it was nonprofit. So I loved the convening power of, of the legislation and the ability to really influence you know, good behavior, so to speak, in low-income neighborhoods, because I have a lot of friends in low-income yeah. neighborhoods. And so that kind of pivoted me into the world of social impact. One of the most meaningful things about my time at Georgetown as well was I was working with pioneers in social impact. So my fellow fellows, so to speak, were um, the ones who 20, 30 years ago were defining what social impact meant, were defining ESG and CSR and for those who don't know ESG, you know, in environmental social governance, it's a lot of the way uh, kind of social impact is is thought about and frameworked and measured. And then corporate social responsibility and even DEI initiatives, diversity, equity, and inclusion, name the acronym. And they were defining them and figuring out before people how, knew what these what to really say these totally were. like wow. and yeah. everybody and everybody still uses different language for this right. so i i try to level set on the language as best as possible but it's really uh, it was really special to learn from our uh from the pioneers in social impact and and given a big uh a deep you know hospitality background i i consistently thought of how we could braid them together. And some of my work at Georgetown, we were working with and for hotel owners to, to work on how uh, the hospitality industry can be impactful in and of itself. And so I, I held a, a couple of different positions. I went from Georgetown, I was courted by the then CEO of a what's called a community development financial institution, CDFI, uh, named called LISC. So I, I ran enterprise operations for the largest CDFI in the country after that. CDFIs invest uh, in low-income neighborhoods, um, do a lot of community development work. And so worked at LISC for a while, um, went back to hospitality private equity for a short stint before I met the founder of Procure Impact. And Lauren McCann reached out to me over LinkedIn last year uh, because she knew that I had a hospitality background. She knew that I was speaking on supplier diversity and ESG and DEI in the hospitality space. And she was building Procure Impact and I knew that hospitality was big market for them. So she, it was, this is a total God thing too, because I never read my LinkedIn mail. I probably shouldn't say this on a podcast when people are like, how do I get in touch with you? It's okay. I do, I do. We're really bad. We're really bad at it I too. Do. I do now because I met Don't Lauren. Don't tell anyone. You know this is totally a secret. <laughs> yeah. She sent me, she sent me a message and <laughs> it was like months before I actually read oh. it. So I don't really know what stars aligned to get me to read her message. But anyway, she read like Who knows message. if she'd have moved on from that? No. I, I, she did. I mean, we still, to this day, people are like, how do you mean? It's like, ah. Uh, I checked my LinkedIn that? mail one day. Yeah, like one day. One day, and she sent this message to me, and it was like buried. I have no way. It was a total, Gosh, it's amazing. I don't know, a total God thing. So, and she told me about what she was building with Procure Impact. And I was like, wow, this is just a really smart business idea. <laughs> exactly. And so I met her for coffee unapologetically, because I was trying to weasel my way onto her advisory board. I was just like, this is so smart. The industry needs this. And uh, we met for coffee and she's like, well, you can 
you can have an advisory board seat, but you could, the other option is you can actually get in the work with us and, and help us build this. And I was like, well, that sounds like fun. So I came on as an advisor uh, last fall to just open some doors to the hospitality space. And after working together for a few short weeks, Lauren and I were, it, you know, it was just a love fest. And uh, so then we had some conversations to bring me on as president starting in January of this year. And so what Procure Impact does is uh, we're building a B2B marketplace. Uh, so it's tech-enabled B2B marketplace. Think Etsy or fair.com if you're familiar yeah that connects what are called social enterprises to corporate partners. I didn't know what a social enterprise was a year and a half ago, uh, but we work with all what are called employment social enterprises. And so the social enterprises we work with all work with communities of people who've experienced a barrier to work. So it could be women who have been sex trafficked or abused. It could be adults with disabilities. It could be veterans. It could be refugees. It could be returning citizens, those with a felony record, opportunity youth, et cetera, et cetera. So we have about 10 different impact areas that are represented. And those social enterprises work with those communities of people to provide a lot of the social wraparound services that they need to become thriving members of community um, but they all include a workforce component where they make things. So they could make jewelry, they could make bath and body products, they could make art, they could make furniture, etc. What Procure Impact is doing is acting as a relationship bridge between those products being manufactured by the social enterprises to companies in corporate America that are buying those products already. And so the hospitality industry is a huge market for us. Um, the hospitality industry buys all these things already, whether it be uh, right. snacks, you know, art, furniture, all the things. And so, uh, yeah, so it's a really smart business idea. We're basically external sales for the social enterprises so that they can do more of the incredible work that they're doing and send more people through their programs. And then on the corporate side, from a company's perspective, it's a really easy way to achieve ESG goals. That S part of ESG is oftentimes really amorphous, sticky, confusing for a bunch of people. And so it's an easy button for ESG. Some people actually view us as an indirect hiring strategy to achieve some DEI initiatives. And we're certainly uh, enabling supplier diversity and vendor diversity through our, our business model. So we have this tech-enabled uh, B2B marketplace that we are uh, creating. Our beta actually launched three weeks ago. So we have- I was going to ask you, how's it going? It's great. It's great. It's we great. Uh, Yeah, we launched our beta three weeks ago. So we have some friendly corporate users, early adopters in there, testing it out for us, telling us how to, to, how to break it, what about the user experience. We, we're really seeking uh, early feedback to make us better. Um, we've gotten a lot of positive feedback. The user interface is beautiful. It's really simple, easy to use. Um, it's easy to kind of see the products and search functionality and all of that. So uh, we're really uh, quite grateful with the tech build so far. And then we'll we'll evolve the tech uh, to be better and better and better as as we go on and get you know all of our products on there. We have about 22 social enterprises worth of products in there now. We're partnered with about 100 in total. So we have a lot in the queue to line up. Um, but uh, yeah, we're really happy with uh, early days of our, of our tech launch. And then we also are doing a ton of gifting too, which we, we didn't think that we 
would be doing. I don't think we thought the demand was going to be as robust as it is, but it it's serving to be a really easy entry point with a lot of these companies, especially because so many companies are doing uh, distributed work teams or work from home. So we're doing a ton of employee onboarding gifts where you can co-brand or logo certain things and send a whole gift box full of fun things that employees might want uh, their first month of on the job. Uh, whether it be coffee or notebooks or snacks, that sort of a thing. And and all of these purchases go to enable and empower our social enterprises. So it's a meaningful way as the first point of contact with an employee for the company to say, hey, we're living out our values in a, in a real way. So again, just a ton of employee onboarding gifts. We're also doing gifting for events and various other celebratory occasions, whether it be heritage months or you know 100 year anniversary celebrations of certain companies, things like that. So uh, yeah, so it's really fun. What are some of the obstacles that typically people that you see these employment social enterprises that have or these barriers that prevent people from being able to get jobs? Like, it's hard for me to understand how, and I know I, I know it's real, right? That's why these companies exist. But why would people not want to employ, you know, women that have been abused or, I mean, I just can't understand our veterans and, and I know it's such a problem. So I'm trying to understand. And if you could help me understand mm-hmm. what are these companies doing is what I guess better way to say it. What are these companies doing? That's helping these people come to these companies and know they're a safe place to come work and feel like they can be supported and have that dignity that we yeah, talked about. Sure. So I think for the most part, uh, these communities of people come together not necessarily for the workforce program, but more for the social wraparound services that the social enterprises provide. Oftentimes the workforce component of it is part of uh, an economic financial security initiative, part of um, usually part of the the latter part of the programming with these communities of people uh, to so really looking for community. They're looking for support. They're looking for community. Support. I mean, they're looking for community, but they also might need housing assistance. They right. might need sure. mental health assistance. They might need um, just some really basic training on on how do you set your calendar? How how do you set uh, measures for accountability in your life? And you know, the programs range from six weeks to two years in these social enterprises. And it just kind of depends on the community of people with whom they're working and then what the needs are. And so uh, it, it it really varies. You know, there are some communities of, of people that need uh, a longer program time. And then there's some that that just need kind of the transitional assistance to like figure out life, uh, you know, if you're a returning citizen to figure out, it depends on, you know, how long you were incarcerated. The world has likely changed quite a bit. Like overwhelming. Totally yeah. overwhelming and, and super different and and how you find a job and and all of that is is really different. So it might not be some of the more fundamental skills that they need, but it might just be the world's really different and this is how you navigate this world now. Um, in other cases, there that you need to, you know, really start from the beginning and and um it's training on like how do you set your alarm clock in the morning and how do you um come up with a schedule and how do you think about that and how do you, you know, 
how's it again, how's, you know, helping reduce housing insecurity, financial insecurity, things of that nature. So uh, it depends on the, on the community, depends on the social enterprise, depends on how large they are. Uh, so there's disparate needs, but um, they're all doing such incredible work. Incredible work. I mean, like you said, when you heard about Procure Impact, it just makes so much sense. It makes sense. Right? Like, it makes so much sense. When I was listening to you on stage, I was like, why haven't people done that? This makes so much sense. Also, well, I think because, you know, in large part, and, and Lauren, our founder, has, uh, she used to grant fund these social enterprises. And so she's got a, a really deep stable of relationships in the social enterprise world. And it's largely because people uh, have never viewed them as vendors before. It's mm-hmm. it's always been a workforce program that has yeah. kind of furthered the mission of a lot of the social services that are being provided. Um, but but Lauren, no one took the next step. Of yeah. Like, oh no, this can actually be intertwined in our industry and be successful for everyone. You know. And like these are really high quality products. Yeah. And uh, these are you know some of our social enterprises can really pump at scale. You know we have. Uh, bath and body providers that are doing candle runs with Whole Foods. We've got coffee roasters that are doing runs with Costco. Not everybody's that big, but we do have the ability to scale. So as ben a business Jerry's person, brownies. yeah, Ben and Jerry's, you know, is working with Grayston Bakery on getting brownies in their uh, ice cream. And so, yeah, I mean, the ability, Bank of America is working with art lifting, which is one of our social nice. enterprises to shift art procurement for their, uh, I think it's 3000 of their branches. They have to buy art from somewhere. And so, you know, uh, so it's really just shifting procurement spend into the hands of these social enterprises. A a little goes a long way. I mean, if we were to shift just a small percentage into the hands of these social enterprises, uh, they can do more of the incredible work that they're doing. I mean, one of our social enterprises uh, that works with female survivors uh, of trafficking, they employ, they have about 25 women that go through their program. It's a two-year program, but heartbreakingly, their wait list is over a hundred. And so, you know, that's, that's who we're working for. That's who we're working for. It's so that social enterprises um, that fit that description can do more of the amazing work that they do um, all the time, every, and, all day, every day. Yeah. And I think the important note to point out is for us as in the corporate world or corporate users or companies out there, this isn't even an extra step. It's just simply Mm -hmm. switching your thought process of instead of going over here to buy what I need or to procure goods, I go over here. I'm just, I'm clicking a different button in a different place, but it does nothing. There's no extra steps. So y'all have done the steps, you know, that's y'all are, y'all have done the work for us. We just have to go think a little bit differently of, making, doing it for the good, right? Why wouldn't we want to help um, locally? The things that you're buying anyway. That's why we're so grateful for podcasts like this because it's just awareness building. All we need to do is, is get our name out there because people just need to know that, that we exist. I mean, that's part of the really smart nature of this business model is to your point, we are not requiring a change in consumer behavior. You have to buy these things from somewhere. You're buying your coffee for your office from somewhere. You're buying, if you're a hotel and you're fitting out a retail store, you have to buy all of the things that you're selling in a retail store from somewhere. Right. You're not convincing anyone to go out and buy something extra. No, you have to buy this stuff anyway. Yeah. 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 
So, um, and oftentimes the products are actually higher quality than absolutely. market because they know they're, they're going against a stigma at Very the outset. Point. So it's, it's, they're beautiful. Yeah. Like you're probably ear- getting better quality. If, mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember your earrings you wore, they were beautiful. And that, yeah. yeah, I think it just makes so much sense. So I can't wait to, for, to put all of y'all's information uh, on our podcast so that, I mean, I would, I would have had no clue if you weren't there in front of yeah. me on that stage, we'd have no clue. So like you said, it's just also about getting it, getting the information out there. I did want to ask you, as you were going through, gosh, these different life experiences, I think that brought you to exactly where you, you were meant to be, which mm-hmm. is pretty incredible. And thinking of like, you know, younger women or younger people coming into this sort of hospitality world, do you have any advice? I mean, it seems like you were, is there something that helped you sort of trust this process? You know, is it a God thing? Is it your gut? Is it a combination of both? Is it friends? Is it family? What led you to just be so brave about just jump, taping these leaps of faith. I mean, at any point you could have been like, oh gosh, I'm so out of my comfort zone. Let me go back to where I was mm-hmm. comfortable for 10 years. Sure. You know, I could see myself doing that where if I got overwhelmed, I'd be like, maybe I should just go back. Maybe I just go back. Maybe I wouldn't. But like, what led you to keep sort of just trusting this and moving forward until you landed at like this ultimate place that seems so perfect for you? Do you have any advice? Yeah. Oh goodness. I have advice. For me, it was a God thing. So definitely my faith and and like God always leads in goodness and love. I did not believe that for a, a while. I, I would have been like, God always leads in goodness and love all the time. Like, I don't know. Like I'm going through some really curious experiences. So it doesn't really feel like it. I think for me, to be honest, you know, we talk a lot about dignity and uh, I think this is really important, especially given that I'm doing mission work, but I am not defined by what I do. So I love Procure Impact. I love what we're building, but if it were to go away tomorrow, I will be fine. And if your job were to go away tomorrow, like you would be fine. And it's my experience that I I am actually like usually surprised to the positive. Uh, I remember a friend of mine once shared a story with me that there was a, an older gentleman who was leading a company and his company had to declare bankruptcy. And it was very difficult because he went through bankruptcy and it meant people's jobs and things like that. And he, his first reaction was to praise praise God. And I was like, that is some graduate level faith because that would not be my (laughs) first. That's like, I go through something bad. I'm not going, no, yeah, no, no, no. Um, but I think, you know, I think my year off was God really beating my identity in work out of me. Uh, Mm -hmm. I really, I, I really identified with my career and, and who I am in, in, in would have been answered, you know, first half of life with a very career focused answer. And I I'm doing meaningful work, but it, it doesn't define me. And people often ask the question, you know, you know, you feel, when are you going to feel like you've done enough good and things like that? And it's like, that's actually not how I frame it. I happen to have friends in underestimated communities of people. 
I happen to have friends that also went to Ivy League schools and have access to capital and are influential leaders per culture standards. I just want my friends to know each other. (laughs) That's that is as simple as that. That is as simple as that. It's not, I'm not trying to like, you know, get to heaven. I'm not trying to be altruistic. Like that, that's not my job. Check boxes. No, like it's joyful work that I get to introduce my friends to each other. That is kind of what I do every day. And it's really joyful work to go in and certainly see the social enterprises and how they were created. I mean, every founder story is just more impressive and inspiring than the last one. And um, just to, to be in community with those people. And then also, you know, to, to be within investors and those with, you know, with, with greater access to greater means, there's, there's a lot of um, amazing humans in that, in that, in those communities too, that are, that are looking to, to get connected or to be proximate or to, um, you know, just to, to know my friends in the other community. So that's kind of how I frame it. But in terms of advice, you know, I just think that we were all given our own set of life circumstances a, a bit on purpose. And it's just trying to to do the best with what we have. You know, I'm not an expert in many things, but everybody I meet is is an expert in something that I'm not. So I actually, you know, we talk a lot about dignity. I think that everyone has dignity inherently in being a human being. And I try to be as genuinely curious about every person I meet because I know that to be true and they have a lived experience and that I don't have. And so you're um, tapping, you're trying to tap into that for each person. Yeah. I think the advice is like, there are people who and I didn't come up with this concept, so I am plagiarizing from somebody, but there are people <laughs> who enter a room and say, here I am. And there are people who enter the room and say, oh, there you are. And I want to be one of the latter pe- kind of people. Yeah. I want to be more like, Jeanette, like, what's your story? Like, why did my speech resonate with you so much? Like, let's understand that. Let's unpack that. There's probably a lot of advice that we could unpack for a younger generation, just in understanding why why my story, you know, resonated with you. I think healthy curiosity and a genuine curiosity, um, that's probably my advice. Just be curious yeah. about everything. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. It's so true because if you walk into a room and you want to get to know the people around you for exactly who they are, only good can come out of that, you know? And it's it helps you. I've always been a firm believer in understanding more of people's stories helps you become a better person. And I think that that's exactly what you're doing. And I mean, I literally wrote down what you said about, I'm not defined by what I do with a giant circle around it, because I mean, it's so easy to slip into that, especially when we were talking about coming full circle with this, being driven by sort of this need for financial security, you could very quickly become like, I am what I do for work because that's my security. That's, Mm -hmm. but that's not who I am. That's not who Jen is. Like if Jen stopped doing her work today, she'd actually still be doing her work because that's just the way she lives. Jen wants to connect friends from different worlds and make it a better place because of it, that she happens to just be doing that as a job. But if Jen stopped that job, she'd still be doing that. So 
I mean, to remind yourself that you're not defined by the time you clock in every day. Mm -hmm. You really, your work is never done. And by that, we mean like reaching out to people, making connections, finding out that someone else, I mean, listening to other people. Sometimes it's Mm -hmm. so easy to just help somebody else out without even realizing you are. It might just be listening, you know, and being, yeah, being curious, you know, like you said, I think there definitely are people that walk into a room and sort of just wait for things to come to them mm-hmm. instead of going, now, what can everybody in this room let help me understand, you yeah. know, how yeah. can we all work together and put all of our minds together because we all have different perspectives to just do good and not being defined by your circumstances, you know, um, I definitely hate to say this, but I always say it and I mean it like I'm thankful for what I went through. You know, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't wish it upon anyone, you know, your dad being out of your life and these struggles that you go through. I mean, it defines my trust in people a lot and all these different circumstances, but it also made me exactly who I am and exactly where I need to be, where um, I'm defiant Mm and in the best sort of way that um, I love to conquer. I love to overcome and I want help to help other people do the same. And I think that you are just setting the stage for that for a lot of us and, and hearing you is, is what is, what's going to keep inspiring people because look at what you've done, you know? Um, Well, I also think that, you know, Jeanette, you with your story, like you're going to be able to see people that other people can't see. And you're going to be able to resonate with people that other people can't, or that you'll be able to see magic where other people can't. And like, that's a superpower. I'm with you. I, there's a lot of my journey story that I wouldn't have chosen. And relationally, it certainly has impacts and trust. It has impact all these things. But I, I do think that, you know, your lived experience is, is meaningful for you and you know, everyone in your orbit. I I think that I know there are people that you'll be able to see and understand that other people just can't. And it's really, it's a special thing. I mean, learning how to, listening to people like you is what's so important is because you helped me understand how to use that power for good, right? Mm -hmm. Like that might be a superpower that I would never know that I could tap into more if I hadn't met you, if I hadn't heard your story. Yeah, so, I think, you know, we were also talking about advice for younger generations and I'm still a work in progress on this. So I, I don't know exactly <laughs> how, to, how to do this. I, think I always will be, but that's okay but too. <laughs> I, Cause I really struggle with this, but like being misunderstood is really hard for me. Yes. And I'm misunderstood a lot. You know, I am in lower income neighborhoods and I've got blonde hair and blue eyes. And like, I am, you know, I'm six one and, and it, it's, I am just misunderstood. You could get labeled so easily. I, and I know by I walking do. into a room. <laughs> totally. But the thing is, I do it too. Yeah. I do it yeah. too. You know, I such a good point. I, I I label it. And so knowing that I don't want to be labeled and that there are so many layers to my onion, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. But there's something about like the question. I've been praying recently to to try and be unoffendable. And it's really hard. It's really hard because being misunderstood is really hard. And I feel like our culture is getting louder and everybody's like talking over each other and all these things. But it's like, I think it's part of the advice is just know that not everybody's going to understand you. And 
that has to be okay, or else you are going to spend a lot of time, effort, and energy trying to explain yourself to people that just aren't, aren't going to get it probably ever. And again, I mean, we're wired for connection. And so, you know, there's people pleasing in there and all sorts of things, but like. It's a hard thing to accept. Yeah, it's but really it's so true. Hard. I, I have not accepted it. I'm sitting here giving advice that <laughs> I need myself. I know that, and there are some people that are, are, are worth trying to, you know, wrestle with, I'm like, I need you to understand this, but um, you just, I feel like I'm, I'm misunderstood pretty frequently, especially mm-hmm. like the more counterculture moves I make, because I think, I also think I would encourage people to be, be like, look for, um, opportunities for like, I think Brene Brown calls them micro bravery, like little, little ways to be brave because bravery like feeds on itself in my experience. And so yeah. Like the braver you are, and then when it's met with like a positive outcome and all those things that you worried about didn't happen, that's actually really good learning for like your body, heart, mind, soul, spirit, all of that. And so I actually think bravery is contagious. I think it's contagious within yourself. I feel like it's contagious within myself, but it's also contagious to other people around me because people will look and say like, well, that was weird. Oh, that was weird. That was weird. And I don't have any problem being weird. I do think there's the bravery, like builds upon itself. That's been really helpful. Like I'm, I'm much more apt to be braver with my life now because I have this lived experience of bravery really being celebrated. You are such a beautiful light. You're such a a breath of fresh air. And I truly do mean that. And, um, thank you so much for just sharing your journey and, oh my gosh, don't ever stop what you're doing as far as, and by that, I don't mean your work. (laughs) I mean, just you. Um, And uh, we will continue to follow you. I hope we can get a connection made between us and the New Dallas office so that we can um, use uh, Procure Impact for our good and get y'all's word out there even more. But I cannot thank you enough, Jen. I know you are so busy and running around the world telling your stories. Jeanette, I, I really can't thank you enough for your encouragement and your kind words. They they go a long way and um, really appreciate the invitation to share my story here. And uh, if anybody you know wants her to get in touch, please, please do. 